We are continuing in a series through the book of Acts. We're in our second week. Uh, the title of the series we've called Saturate, but it's a journey through the book of Acts. And what we notice in the book of Acts is that while the gospel goes out from the original disciples to more and more disciples throughout the world, it also goes deep. And we just felt like the word saturate paints that picture of just an all-consuming hope, an all-consuming hope of glory that, that God gives us and how, how we really can't contain it, about how it, it, it goes forth. And so that's why we've called this series Saturate. Uh, this particular sermon uh, is interesting for me, and here's the reason why. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture before and thought you know exactly what that passage of Scripture means? Well, this week I thought, okay, Acts 1-8, I got this thing, I've preached this thing a hundred times. Well, I get into it and start discovering kind of what the passage I think really means, and it's, it's a little bit different than what I thought that it was. And so um, it's really a kingdom manifesto. So to, to paint the picture for you, Jesus' disciples come up and they ask him a question about the kingdom. And as you look at that question that they ask him, it is, it is riddled with flawed theology about what the kingdom is and, and what he's taught them about the kingdom. So we're going to go on that journey today. It's a, it's a map of the physical kingdom and how to advance, but it's also a spiritual map of what the kingdom is really about. So kingdom manifesto. And a manifesto, I think we're going we're gonna to redeem this word here. Manifesto is a declaration of what a movement is about. I think in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Jesus tells his disciples, just what this kingdom is going to be about. When I was a youth pastor, on, on, the, on the topic of map, I, I thought I would share a quick uh, illustration for you, a quick story for you. When I was a youth pastor, I had this group of uh, young men that I was discipling. And this was a, a very uh, extraordinary group of young men that I was discipling. They were uh, sophomores and juniors in high school at this time. And uh, I took these young men out uh, for a retreat. One of their... Uh, one of their grandfathers had this farm uh, that was, you know, several hours away uh, from Indianapolis. And so we were going to go spend the night at the farm and, and hang out together. And, um, and on the way there, you know, we were going to do manly things like, you know, shoot stuff, blow stuff up, uh, hang out in the woods, you know, go fishing, that kind of stuff. And on the way there, um, I remember this particular intersection uh, that reminds me of a Robert Frost poem. And it's this, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, Robert Frost says, or we in this situation, took the road less traveled by, and that made all the difference. So we get to this particular intersection, and the guys in the back, you know, they're sophomores and juniors in high school, they're goofing off, watching like comedy on their, you know, their parents' DVD player in, in this borrowed suburban that I'd borrowed from their parents. And we were driving out uh, into the woods to go to grandma's house, okay? And, uh, and, and as we're going there, I say, I say, hey, Ben, do I make a left or a right at the light? And Ben's kind of goofing off with the guys in the back. He's like, oh, I think you make a left here. So we're going off of his mental map that he has. He's been to his grandparents' house several times. So no problem. I make a left. No big deal at all. Then he says, you know, you go for about two hours, and then it's right on the right. You can't miss it. Okay, got kind of an interesting map that you've given me here. So we start driving, and I drive for two hours, and Ben looks up finally, and he says, none of this looks familiar. Now, keep in mind, 
At this point, I mean, we'd left after youth group. It was one of those weird holidays where you get off on Monday, so we're, we're going to go down and do it. So at this point, it's probably 9.30. He says, none of this looks familiar. We pull into a gas station because at this time, we're out of gas. And, the, you know, a couple of gas stations were closed. We find one that's open. We go in, and we ask, you know, where, where are we? Because the cell phones don't work. And the guy says, you know, you're in such and such town. And, uh, and Ben goes, okay, how do we get to blank, whatever town we're going to? He says, oh, that's four hours in the other direction. So we say, okay, no problem. Let's drive four hours in the other direction and get back to where we're going. So we hop in the car, and all of a sudden it starts to snow. We're in Indiana. And it doesn't just snow. Over the next four hours, it snows 12 inches as we are driving to grandma's house. And as we are driving, I, I remember this really weird scenario. We're on this country road. We pass this guy at midnight on one of those, is it a recumbent bike? Is that what it's called? One of those things you're laying? He's riding at midnight through the snow on this. It's the weirdest thing in the world. And so we're driving to grandma's house and we finally get there. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. It's ridiculous. And so I tell you this story because there are things that are familiar in life that we think that we don't need a map to. And building the kingdom of God was that for the disciples. They had heard it. They had been seeking this from the Messiah time and time again. And so Jesus had taught all of these things about the kingdom that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at several aspects of the kingdom. And the disciples had missed it. And this is why Jesus says in the passage we're about to read that the Holy Spirit has to come so that you'll build the right kingdom. Because you know what you and I are prone to without the Holy Spirit? We will build an entirely different kingdom than the one that God wants us to. We're, we're all about building kingdoms. It's just what we do. It's in our nature. We're going to build something, a kingdom of ourselves, a kingdom of our company, a kingdom of whatever it is. And Jesus says, look, guys, if you don't hear what I've said, if you don't trust the spirit that I'm going to give you, you're going to build the wrong kingdom. And that's why we got to listen to this today, because we're all prone to build the kingdom, just the wrong kingdom. So the big idea of where we're going today is this, is that Jesus is building a kingdom of grace. So let's stand as we read God's word and honor that uh, today. I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and you know, Oftentimes, we'll, we'll read a big section of Scripture and may only have time to focus on just a little bit of it. Um, so we're not going to look as much at the ascension today. We talked about that last week. We're going to really hone in on, on verses 6, 7, and 8 today. So let's read God's Word uh, together. So when they had come together, they asked Him, and this is the key question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out uh, of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood there in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us about the kingdom. We confess that, uh, that oftentimes uh, we are off mission, uh, that we want to build a kingdom that is not yours. So Father, would you reveal to us our tendencies uh, 
to, to have different inclinations of what your kingdom is about and who it's for. Because we are all, uh, we're all prone to go in those directions. So Father, would you reveal those things to us today and give us hope about who you are and who your kingdom is for. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as we read this, if you're anything like me, <laughs> we read it and we're like, how did these guys not get what the kingdom was? I mean, they've spent three years with Jesus. How in the world can they possibly not have gotten what the kingdom is actually about? Because the kingdom of God, we, we, could, we could kind of summarize what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the reign of God in and through the hearts of men. It's the reign of God in and through the hearts of men. And as I was, as I was reading this this week, I, uh, I came across a quote in my study uh, that was this guy named John Stott, uh, who was quoting uh, John Calvin, and he says this right here. As Calvin stated, there are many errors in the question. He's talking about Acts 1.6. The verb, the noun, and the adverb of the sentence all betray doctrinal confusion about the kingdom. The verb, restore, shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. The noun, Israel, shows that they were expecting a national kingdom. And the adverbial clause, at this time, that they were expecting an immediate establishment. That's what John Stott says. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through and we're going to look at each of those three words. Because I think in Acts chapter uh, 1, 7, and 8, Jesus is answering the question that they've asked. And oftentimes when Jesus answers a question, he doesn't answer it directly. But Jesus answers the question that you were afraid to ask when you made the question known. So Jesus is answering the question that's underneath the surface here about what the kingdom is actually about. So you grammar nerds that are in here will love this because I'm going to look. Oh, there's a few of you in here. That's good. You, you, we're going to look at each of these words and kind of go through it. So the first one is this. We're going to look at the verb restore. And the question that we're asking is this, is what is the nature of the kingdom? So the disciples gather with Jesus in Bethany and, uh, and, and they ask this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And you can, you can almost... You can kind of smell in the air. What they wanted was they wanted Jesus to pull out the game of risk, lay it out on the table, right? And he wanted to show them, okay, here's how we're going to take this thing, guys. We're going we're to take it exactly like this. And Jesus, he doesn't answer them in that way. The nature of the kingdom, rather, is spiritual. And it's the rule and reign of God in the hearts of men and women, as we've said. And, and, and I'm not saying that the kingdom doesn't have physical implications, because it does. But we see that Jesus... The kingdom is first spiritual and then it's physical. So, so Jesus changes the hearts and minds of men and women and then they build the kingdom of God in light of that. They are about mercy and justice because they've been given a heart that's full of the mercy and justice of God because of what Jesus has done for them. Another thing that we've got to remember about Jesus' uh, uh, his, his comings, the, the first one is that Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. So he brings the kingdom uh, into being. And that's why Jesus says, Hey, look, the kingdom is in your midst. But see, you know, the, the, the Israelites really wanted the physical establishment of this kingdom to come to pass. So the best way to think about the kingdom is like this. It's like a mountain range of two mountains. So you can always see, um, in, in a mountain range, you always notice the, the hill in the back, right? I mean, you notice the one that kind of cuts out the sky. Sometimes you can almost miss the mountain that's in the front because it's smaller than the one that's in the back. Jesus' coming 
is like a mountain range, okay? His first coming was the one that was in the front that sometimes you can miss if you're not careful. And his second coming is the one that we're waiting for now. And in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus is the mission of God. So think of it like an Oreo. You know, you've got, you've got a, a, a chocolate sandwich on one side, a, a chocolate you know, cracker on one side, a chocolate cracker on the other side. And in the middle is this creamy fill, filling. And that creamy filling is the mission of God and the advancement of the kingdom. And that's the period of time that we're in now. We've experienced Jesus' first coming, and we're waiting and longing for his second coming. So Jesus says it's, it's this already not yet kind of kingdom. It's already been established, but it's not yet in its fullness. And so we see the kingdom of God growing, and the book of Acts teaches us all about this. Jesus says things like this about the, the nature of the kingdom. In John 18, 36, he says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Paul describes the, the kingdom like this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is, is not as much about the physical things, the kingdom that Jesus does for in, but, but, it's, but it's more about the spiritual fruit is what he's saying. So the disciples have this narrow view of the kingdom. They think that, okay, it's got to be this physical kingdom. And we're, we can't wait for Jesus to come and establish that physical kingdom that the Scriptures promise. But their view is too narrow. I, I love how Jesus answers them. He says, okay, you guys want power? You want the, you want the power of a kingdom? I'll tell you how you'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Power is a very kingdom-minded word, isn't it? I mean, a kingdom has power. So Jesus answers them, and he says, you'll have power, but it's not the kind of power you think that you'll have. You'll have the kind of power that comes upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power will then enable you to be my witnesses. Not to, not to necessarily take over the world in might and in physical force, but you'll have spiritual power. And the disciples still go on and they ask questions like, hey, can we sit at your right and left hand at the, in the kingdom of heaven? And they ask all these things. And, and, the, and the truth is, is that we all want power. We all want to have the, the brute force of the kingdom. We want, we want to embody that. But Jesus imparts spiritual power for us. So the question for us is this, how do I narrow the kingdom? Because as much as I would like to say that this is just kind of the disciples issue, like, oh, come on, guys, how can you not get this, right? You've been with Jesus. I didn't get the time to spend with Jesus in Galilee and, and go and see him go on the cross and resurrected and all that stuff. So you guys should get this more than anybody else. That's my tendency to look at the disciples and say those types of things. But the truth is, is that I narrow the kingdom just like the disciples do. Sometimes in the same way, sometimes in different ways. I came to th this realization a few years ago uh, that I was prone to preclude certain people from the kingdom, depending on what their sin was or how they lived their lives. And I would just say, the kingdom of God is certainly not for you guys. And God just stopped me right in my tracks uh, through, a, through a pretty dark season of Him showing me my own sin. And so the question for us is, who do we preclude from the kingdom? Who do we think, oh, there's no way that God could save those folks. And so because there's no way that God's not interested in those folks, I'm just going to separate myself from them. Who is it that we preclude from the kingdom? Because all of us do it, and most of us are unaware of it. Who do we preclude from the kingdom? 
Who is beyond the restorative work of grace in your mind? And if you can answer that question, if you can put a name or a face on that, that is probably the area that God wants to put his finger on in your heart. Because the absolute answer is, is in our minds, there's nobody that's too far from God's reach of grace. And, and if we have this mind that, that we think that someone is, we probably are failing to understand how gracious God has been to us. And so that, that, that needs to be an inward journey. Instead of condemning folks for their sin, whether it be different than yours or not, or saying they're farther away because they've hurt you, and that the grace cannot extend to them, uh, we, sh we should probably begin this inward journey. You know, Thomas Jefferson had, was known for having this Bible. And it was different than my Bible and your Bible. Jefferson had this bright idea, just for his devotional Bible, that he would, um, he would get a little crafty with his Bible, okay? Uh, nothing wrong with crafts, except when you bring it to your Bible, right? So he, he takes some scissors to his Bible and he starts cutting out things that he doesn't really agree with. Not a good idea, right? And so it's known as the Jefferson Bible, where he cut out all the miracles because he was a, he was a realist. He didn't, he didn't like what the Bible said about miracles. He cut out lots of other things. Church, we, we are prone to be the same way. Not, not to cut pages out of our Bibles and passages out of our Bibles, but to cut people out of our lives. So the question for us is, who are we cutting out of our lives because we think that they're too far gone and, and, and we don't want to be sent to them? We don't think the kingdom is for them. It's a question to consider. Let's keep moving on. So let's look, secondly, at the noun Israel. So kind of going back to Acts 1-6 here, we're still looking at those, that, that, that verse, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So we're looking at that noun Israel. And what we notice about this is that the kingdom is no longer a nationalistic kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom that's brought to life through the saving grace of God through the gospel for all nations. This is the work that God wants to do. So up until this time, Jerusalem was like the, the headquarters of, 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 the, of the, the people of Israel. Jesus says something absolutely fascinating to them. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and even though you guys have been making all these pilgrimages to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, your whole life to, to, to worship, we're changing things up a bit. Instead of y'all coming here, we're going to send you out. So this is going to be a little different than what you've experienced. Because I'm opening the kingdom for the Gentiles. And so he says, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. If I had a map, I could show you what this would look like. So Jerusalem's a city right in the middle of Israel. Judea and Samaria. It's more of a region. F funny thing about that is, is that Judea and Samaria are both regions. And they're right about the same size. I think Jesus mentions Samaria because he knows the tendency of the disciples to preclude Samaria as people that God would be interested in. Do you remember Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Jesus' disciples are appalled that they would actually go through Samaria. Jesus, why, why, we usually go around Samaria, Jesus. Why do we have to go right through it this time? When Jesus sat with that woman at the well and told her that she could drink living water, I think he was preparing them for this moment where they would see that the gospel was going to go to the Samaritans as well. And then Jesus says to the ends of the world. Do you know in their mind what would have been known as the end of the world? Rome. So Jesus, you want us to go to Rome with the gospel. The people that have this, 
this yoke of oppression around our neck right now. You want us to go to Rome with the gospel? Even when you look at the book of Acts, you see that chapters 1 through 7 are about the gospel going through Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 are about Judea and Samaria. And chapters 13 through 28 are about the gospel going to the ends of the world. It's a blueprint of how the gospel is going to advance, how the gospel is going to spread. So Jesus' response when the apostles asked this was to tell them that the gospel was going to go forward. That there wasn't this nationalistic kingdom, that it wasn't just for Jews, it wasn't just for Israel anymore. And so their tendency was to revert to their nationalistic, kingdom-minded tendencies. And Jesus broadens the scope. He zooms it out. I want to speak very quickly about a, a way of thinking uh, that has, in a lot of ways, confused a lot of people about the kingdom. Uh, there's a line of theology that's called dispensationalism, and I'm not going to speak a lot on this, but I just want to mention it. Uh, and basically, dispensationalism says that, uh, that God's plan for the church and God's plan for Israel are two separate things. And the difficulty in this is that we see in the Scriptures that through looking at covenant theology, that, that God's plan of redemption uh, is swelling and growing all along. And that at no place do we see that God really has a different plan for Israel through people that don't have faith in Jesus than He does for His church. Now, the way to salvation is, through, is, is by grace through faith. So if someone does not have faith in Jesus, there's no way that they can be a part of the kingdom of God. And so, I just want to show you a couple passages to kind of prove the point here. Um, but the danger of seeing the kingdom of God as a nation is that it takes us off mission. You see, because if, if Jesus would have said, oh yeah, I'm going to restore the kingdom uh, to, to Israel, that's, that's my plan right here. The gospel wouldn't have been open for the Gentiles to be able to believe. And so it, it can take us off mission to think that the kingdom of God is synonymous with the people of Israel. I'm not saying that they're not important. They absolutely are. But the plan is to draw them to faith in Christ. Because there's no, there's no salvation to be found in anywhere else, as we'll read in Acts 4.12. Salvation, no other name than Jesus. It's not able to be found. So, so think about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 and 9. And you're going to see some common themes that would have been very Jewish themes that Jesus kind of, he changes the meaning of them for the church. And he says this, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, as a temple. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about the church. A people for his own possession. And why are you that? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter's expounding on what the Great Commission has called us to do, to go to all nations with the gospel. And Jesus gives the map in Acts 1.8. Here's how this is going to play out, guys. We're going to the world with the gospel. Jesus says in John 17, 18, in, in, uh, in his prayer, he's praying to the Father about the disciples, and he says this, As you sent me into the world, 
so have I sent them into the world. Jesus is a missionary God. He was sent on our behalf to redeem us. And so the same sending nature that God sent Jesus to the world to redeem us with, we are sent into the world with the gospel. Jesus makes us the temple through the Spirit for the nation. And because of this, we're not waiting for the temple to be reestablished for Jesus to return. Those prophecies were fulfilled uh, in the Old Testament when Jesus came. What the Scriptures do say in Romans 11 is that there will be a, a coming of Jews to faith, a large coming of Jews to faith in Jesus before the, before the end of the world, before Jesus returns for the second time. Whether that's happening now or not, I'm not real sure, but that's what the Scriptures say. But it's real important for us to see the truth of Galatians uh, chapter 3, uh, 29. And this is, this is a passage that I come back to, I mean, almost weekly. And it says this, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. And so what Jesus is saying is that true Israel is more a condition of the heart than anything else. It's a condition of the heart. Just like there were, there were Jews that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and still do not to this day, there's no way that they can inherit the kingdom of heaven just for being Jewish. You have to have faith in Christ. God's plan of salvation is the same for all, by grace, through faith in Jesus. And this is important for us to realize. And I know it can be confusing because the Bible is full of stories about how Jesus about how the, how the Scriptures, about how God creates a people Israel. And then Jesus comes, and He's the Messiah of them, but they reject Him. And now we look forward to Jesus' second coming, that second mountaintop that we're waiting for. It's really important to realize this, or we'll, we'll completely uh, misconstrue what the whole Scriptures are talking about. There's only one people of God. There's only ever been one people of God. And it's by grace, through faith. Now we can talk more about this in probably a teaching environment, um, such as TFL, uh, or something like that that we're going to provide this summer, which is the Theological Foundations for Leaders. And so if you're interested in digging deeper into that, we'll provide that opportunity this summer. But the biggest problem, kind of, kind of moving on with this, the biggest problem in seeing the kingdom nationalistically, here's the biggest problem, is they were inclined to think that they were more deserving of God's grace than the Samaritans and the Romans and all the other sinners in the world. But they were no more deserving because we read in Deuteronomy 7, 7 that it wasn't because Israel was something beautiful to look at that God chose them. But the Scripture said that He chose them in love. That His love is actually what made them beautiful. And His love is what makes us beautiful too. That's the danger. Jesus is building a grace-filled kingdom. Not, Jesus says to them, not only am I not going to throw off the Roman yoke of slavery, that you want to get rid of, you want, you want to get out of here with this thing. You, you want to be back in control. You don't want this Roman yoke of slavery over you that I've allowed. But I'm actually going to send you to them. The very people that are oppressing you, I'm actually going to send you to them. And do you know in the history of the church, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I think it's important to share. In the history of the church, the times that the church has grown the most is when they have been oppressed, when they've been persecuted. When Constantine came 
in the 300s and uh, made Christianity the national religion, that was the time that the church really didn't grow at all. It's a fascinating thing. We want to run as far away from persecution as we possibly can, and God seems to use it for the growth of his church more than anything else. It's an amazing thing. And so as we experience these things, church, I want to, I want to challenge you to think about what the real work of a witness is. That word witness, do you know what that word is? It's something like marteo. And, and really what that word means, it's the same word that we get the word martyr from. Think about that. It's the same word that we get the word martyr from, the word witness. Now I think what happened to the witnesses of Jesus when they were martyred is what brought the word martyr on. That to be a witness of Jesus is to be martyred. Now will all of us die because we... We all be persecuted to death because we follow Jesus? I don't think so. But Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. And what is a witness? A witness means to truthfully convey that which we have seen and heard. We're to witness about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that has meant in our lives. That's the only thing we got. We got nothing else. That's what it means to be a true witness of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone before. I hope that you all have. And if you haven't, I'll pray that you'll be given that opportunity. But there's nothing like sitting across from someone and telling them about Jesus and knowing that you don't have the power to save them. It's such a comfort and freeing feeling to know this. To sit across from someone and watch the Holy Spirit melt their hearts as you just proclaim what Jesus has done. We think that we've got to have this this plan and this, you know, I got to have this great diagram to show them and oh man, that'll really get them. All we got to do is faithfully proclaim who Christ is. The Holy Spirit does all of the work. He, he's pleased to work through our obedience as we talk about Jesus. The question for us about the kingdom and how it grows is this, is what does it mean for us to be a witness of a gracious God building a gracious kingdom? Could you imagine what it must have felt like for the disciples to hear that news? But then when they actually began to participate in the advancement of the kingdom, how they saw the gospel go forth and people have hope for the first time in their life. I have to imagine that it was all worth their discomfort. It was all worth it for the sake of some coming to know Him. And what we got to ask ourselves is this, are we going to witness like Jesus or like Jonah? Do you remember the story of Jonah? God calls Jonah to go to these despicable people, maybe like the Romans or the Samaritans, maybe worse, probably worse, the Ninevites. Hey, I'm going to send you to Nineveh, Jonah. And Jonah's like, yeah, I got a better plan for this. I'm catching the first ship out of here and I'm going to Tarshish. And Tarshish is the farthest thing away from Nineveh. And then in that disobedience, the sailors throw him overboard because he's brought this terrible squall upon him. A fish swallows him up and ends up spitting him on the shore of Nineveh. Are we going to reluctantly share the gospel with the world? Or are we See that it's the best thing for us to follow God, to let His Spirit lead us, and to see the gospel advance to people that are not deserving because we are not deserving of the grace of God. Will we obey Him in this? Even if He calls us to the Samaritans, even if He calls us to the Ninevites, even if He calls us to Rome, will we obey Him? All right, I'm off my soapbox. Let's move on to the last word here. The adverbial clause, at this time. So the question that we're asking here is, how does the kingdom advance? 
So Jesus had already answered the question of the kingdom in the Gospels, but they don't seem to be content with His answer. So, in, in Acts 1.6, they say, Lord, will you at this time, so at this time, that phrase is what we're looking at there. And the word for time here is this word chronos. And the word chronos is a very straightforward word. It, it, it means literal time as we know it. As, as time marches on and the earth sweeps around the sun, it's talking about this literal dynamic of time. So they say, hey, is this the time, like right now? Is this when the kingdom's coming? And Jesus answers them in a fascinating way. Because he says, hey, look, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. It's not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So what is he saying there? He uses this word, the seasons is kairos. And and what the word kairos means is that it it can mean time or, or, or seasons. And so we see that literal time or seasons. It's not for you to know whether this is the season of redemption or if, or if this is the literal time of the fulfillment of the kingdom that you're longing for, that we're wanting Jesus to come and accomplish. What he's telling them is, hey guys, we are entering into a season of the kingdom. We are entering into this season of the kingdom where we see God's birth and expansion of the kingdom go throughout the world. The season of the kingdom has come. And it's growing. It's here, but it's not yet all the way here. And if you want to know more about what Jesus thinks about the kingdom, read, the, read, read Matthew chapter 13. It's all about these kingdom parables that Jesus shares. I want to share a couple of them with you right here. Verses 31 through 33 in Matthew 13. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air may come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. So it was all leaven. What do we notice about what Jesus says about the kingdom? It starts small. The disciples wanted to start big. They want to see the fulfillment of the kingdom, but the kingdom starts small. It's expansive to the Gentiles. It's this already not yet kind of thing. So, so my question for us as we look at the timing of the kingdom is this. Are we participating in the Kairos kingdom, so the season of the kingdom, while we anticipate the Kronos kingdom, like the, the exact timing of the kingdom? Is that, is that how we're seeing it? Or instead, are we expecting Jesus to return today and inaugurate this season of the kingdom? Because Jesus has already inaugurated the season of the kingdom and it's in advancing now. and He's inviting us to participate in the kingdom right now. The invitation is there. If you follow me, you're given a job to be my witnesses in the world. To faithfully proclaim what, what you've seen me do, what you've heard me say, and what that's meant in your life. Like that, that's what we're proclaiming. That's what it means to be a witness. Because Jesus is building a kingdom of grace. And we need Jesus to tell us what that kingdom of grace needs to look like. And we get to see what the kingdom of grace looks like because He's given us the Holy Spirit that is His life inside of us, applying His Word to us and leading us to build the kingdom. So let's let Jesus build the kingdom in and through us instead of trying to build something on our own. 
It's much better that way. It's much more beautiful. We're going to be surprised. We're going to, we're going to see God, if we, if we live this way, we're going to see God save people that we thought were out of salvation's reach, if we're honest. And that is such a beautiful thing. I have seen this happen time and time. Again, we're going to see the church unite in a way that we've never seen before if we, if we walk in this, because God's going to do things that we wouldn't draw up for ourselves. So I just want to stand her into a time of prayer together as we, uh, as we continue in worship. And we think about the kingdom that Jesus actually wants to build. Because I hope that we're surprised. I hope that we're convicted today. I, I mean, I was terribly convicted as I wrote those words. Um, and as I've said this word to you this morning, because uh, I've tried to build a different kingdom before. And time and time again, God is faithful to bring us back just like He did Jonah. It hasn't been through a fish yet. That would be interesting. But uh, he will bring us back to build his kingdom. He's sovereign over his kingdom. Let's pray and ask him to build his kingdom here. Father, we thank you uh, that that your kingdom uh, is not what we expect. Because if we're honest, Father, we we don't know what we need. We We have absolutely no idea what we need. And what we need is your son to speak on our behalf, to give us salvation, to intercede for us at your right hand. And the kingdom that you've entrusted him with, that he has in turn trust, entrusted us with to build, is really up to you. And so Father, would you disarm our hearts as we think about our lives and our thoughts and, and think about the fact that, that we preclude some people from the kingdom. For real honest, we've precluded them. So they don't have a place in your kingdom. And we've done this by avoiding them, <laughs> by unfriending them, by cutting them out of our lives. Father, you're building a kingdom of grace because you're a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of love. Would you saturate our hearts with that word today? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.